0: It's all over and some of the crowd are on the pitch. It's the end of the 2021-22 Premier League season. It wasn't quite as intense as the pace that City and Liverpool set a few years ago, but in the end they did keep up a bloody good run right the way to the end. Made a bit of hard work of it in the final day, but... Manchester City are champions for the fourth time out of five. Uh, there's all sorts of other stuff to talk about on this, this show. We're going to go through some of it now. We might as well start at the top, though. I've got Neil here with me tonight. Uh, City champions again. Liverpool pushed them all the way. Lost fewer games all season. They're a bit unlucky to have come up against this City side over the last few years, aren't they? Because they would have been champions most years, and this, this isn't the first time this has happened.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess you can only look at it relatively, can't you? Um, you know, I could probably think of plenty of other teams that... it feels quite unlucky they played in the era that they did but um I guess Liverpool they've become the cup team par excellence haven't they you know incredible that they were in the running for four competitions as recently as you know yesterday or yesterday as the time we're recording this rather so you know when the final day came around and everyone was saying oh you know Gerrard will do something and You know, he'll set it up for Liverpool to win the title last day. And I was just thinking, like, there's no chance. You know, City, are you know, they're a point ahead. They just need to win the game. Villa haven't been very good recently. It just didn't feel like there was any jeopardy to it. I remember just, like, feeling really confident. I just would put on Brentford leads, and that's the only game that would matter in the day. And then, of course, you know, football has a way of making it look foolish. Like, Liverpool are one down within, what, five minutes. You know, City go two down and it it starts to look uh incredibly interesting and I think like the, the funniest timeline would have been if City had gone on to lose but Liverpool would been held 1-0 at Wolves instead of going on to win 3-1 that would have been probably the funniest thing to happen in
0: Premier League football in a in a very long time I think um and it looked like happening, you know, for most of the, the afternoon, that looked like the most likely result because, <laughs> I mean, City found themselves 2-0 down. Not for long, I grant you, but uh, the comeback was on soon after that. But both sides made awfully hard work of those those games. And I think what we probably learned was for all the talk and the attractiveness of that Gerard will stop City narrative, people overlooked the fact that Liverpool had a tougher Game on that last day than than City did, which obviously grates me to to admit. But Wolves <laughs> Wolves was a tougher proposition. Wolves basically playing there.
1: I find Wolves awful to watch. Like, genuinely think there's no team I'd I'd like to watch less than a Wolves than Wolves under Bruno Lago Obviously he's done a good he's done a good job, hasn't he? I guess taking them Nuno's last season was a bit of a lame duck season, but. They play awful football. It is literally ten behind the ball, and that goal they scored, you know, it was literally like a, for a goal kick. I mean, when did you, how
0: often do you see a goal score from a goal kick these days? Very um, rarely. <laughs> uh, they, are, they have scored less goal. I, I say ha- have. I mean, it's over now. They did score fewer goals in the entire season than everybody except the three relegated sides, which I, accurate, I guess it? says it all. Uh, the difference is, of course, they uh, can only conceded forty three, as opposed to the likes of you know. 77 for Watford so yeah uh. no
1: quiet so uh, yeah it's you know it's it's interesting like um, teams like Wolves are literally Klopp's nightmare to to play against aren't they because they just they just sit back and Liverpool when they're faced with a team that's sitting back they do have a bit of a tendency to just let Alexander Arnold and Robertson bomb crosses in uh, and hope that something breaks for them. And and often to be fair to Liverpool, like, quite often it it will. But um I certainly found that, you know, Conte trolled Liverpool into uh, making that mistake in the game a couple of weeks ago and um I think it was it was much the same from what I saw of the game. I switched over to the Liverpool game I guess you know, I think I think when when Leeds scored the penalty, I think that's when I switched it over. And, and yeah it it was just one of those one of those games that you know Liverpool did end up turning
0: around, but not before city had already dropped yeah brought it back to 2-2 so it's one of those things where they were never actually out of first place across the whole day and it it did feel very nervous and like that wasn't the case when they were they were 2-0 down because obviously only one goal for Liverpool would have changed the equation dramatically but it, it that was one of those odd things about it is that nothing actually happened in terms of movement at the top of the, the, the table, whereas obviously down the bottom, which we'll get to, a very different story there. Do you think they can go again next year, these two teams, or, or is it going to be that one of them suffers for this slog? I mean, just briefly on the uh, the fact that they've made hard work of it on the
1: final day, if you look at the amount of games they play, mm. it's it's absolutely it's criminal really the amount of games they've played i mean they need those i mean city's squad is bigger than liverpools but but you know they need those squads because they've played so many games and actually if you look at city's injuries you know pep's renowned for shuffling the pack but really he's got he had three three fit players really in the front three to pick from you know the back four is up you know fernandinho in the back four and you know, the kind of the midfield tends to pick itself. So it it, it was, yeah, a strangely bare Man City cupboards. I mean, the fact that, you know, Zinchenko is a game changer off the bench, um, you know, along with Gundogan, it, it it's certainly, certainly interesting. I would say that, you know, there's still a fair distance between those top two and Chelsea and Spurs. Chelsea is such an unknown quantity. I do think if we keep Conte, I think we will kick on. Is it enough to close that gap? Uh, I don't know. He did it in Serie a in the second season, didn't he? But um, I think that's going to be a bit more difficult with how well City and Liverpool are set. I guess the only thing, you know, potentially that, that that might make Liverpool drop off is if they have a run of injuries like they did last season because clearly, you know, they, they had a bit of a nightmare mm. at, in the middle of last season. Um and that does show that it, it it could happen. But yeah,
0: I mean ultimately those two are still a fair way ahead of the others. Mm. The only thing that I wondered about is just that we saw the the images at the end with you know Guardiola and Tears, and it's clearly taken a lot out of of everybody, I think, this this campaign. And City have been running well now for two years, obviously the year before that they had that off year. Uh you just wonder how long before the the intensity of keeping on at this kind of pace uh, will catch up to teams but as you say they do have a big big head start. Uh not really a lot to say on Chelsea because until everything is sorted with them there's not really a lot we can say about how they're going to improve and go on because this is just going to be this sense of limbo and there's this you know we know what happened you know a lot of people came in kind of tipping them for the, the the league and to do well after Tuchel outsmarted, in inverted commas, Guardiola in the Champions League final. And uh, yeah, a combination of the Lukaku deal not working out and a few of these other things behind the scenes. And they were well off the pace in the end. Um, but we, everyone's got eyes on what's going to happen with that. And then, obviously, then you come to the Spurs-Arsenal duel, which was technically going on in the last day. But uh, <laughs> obviously, you kind of wrapped that up, really, with the... North London derby and then Arsenal failing to beat Newcastle. Uh, how important was actually going out and strengthening in the January to actually overhauling Arsenal? Because weren't they like seventh or something a few weeks ago? Um, well, I think Benson, and
1: Koleshevsky have clearly been really, really good signings and have played a key role. Obviously, Koleshevsky has got more of the, the, you know, the column inches because you know he's a
0: eye-catching forward player. Um Benziker is absolute think, assist machine as well. Let's see, he just racks them up.
1: Like, yeah, on he's, he's been terrific. I mean, I, he's a player I liked at Juve a lot. You know, enjoyed what I saw of him for Sweden and the Euros as well. So he, he's, he's a, he, he was a player that I liked anyway. And then he did hit the ground running, which is really important. Kerr, though, I think has been more important, actually, if anything. I think Kerr has been not just a... A, a driving force in midfield but but also somebody who has an eye for a, a key pass which the midfield was w- was badly missing that because Hoyberg has many qualities but passing the ball beyond 6 or 7 yards probably isn't one of them it was good it was good and smart recruitment is was it the difference i don't think it was the difference i think i think the difference is purely You know, Conte having uh, a period of time to get his methods across and that Arsenal team just being a young team. You know, and just slightly it coming a bit soon for them. I think that Arteta Arsenal team, it reminds me a lot of the first Pochettino Spurs team. Like you can see what they might be, but they're not they're not quite yet there yet. You know, I think about that first season of Pochettino when there was, like, these random players still there, like, you know, was still hanging around the place and stuff. And it felt like with Arsenal, you know, Lacazette still hanging around. You know, people forget Aubameyang was still there until January. So they, they were kind of clearing out some of the, I won't say dead wood, but certainly, like, players that had an attitude issue. And they, you know, bedding in young players. And young players make mistakes. That's kind of how they grow in the game at night. The North London derby, I think it was absolutely a case of the occasion being too big for a young team because you saw it like they they set out to kind of try and rough spurs up and you know like players like son and kane they're too smart for that like you saw like as the first time that holding took Son over son just ran at him three more times and he, they just you know fell into the trap and and that was that for them really and they just kind of imploded so yeah i think a, a combination of a few things but you know conte Clearly, having had that amount of time to work with the team, got the best out of Kane, got the best out of Son. You know, Larissa's has had a renaissance this year. Romero coming back from injury was huge. Um, I can't think of many better defenders in the, in the whole division than him. So, yeah, lo- lots of lots of good there. I mean, he he also managed to do something that, that um, both Nuno and Mourinho couldn't do, which is he, he actually managed to get a tune out of the fringe players. So I think about the two goals that Bergvine scored against Leicester just after Christmas, you know, to kind of basically win us a game at the death. You know, that three points ends up being incredibly important. Davinson Sanchez, seeing his name on the team sheet against Liverpool, like, was just, you just don't want to, you know, sorry, against Arsenal rather, you just don't want to see that. <laughs> it's like, you know, Romero's out, Sanchez is in, it's like, you don't want to see that. But um, he was brilliant in that, in that North London derby and he was... You know, good for the rest of the season after that so you know Doherty comes in for um, Royale after Royale basically you know stinks up the joint uh, Doherty gets injured Royale comes back and was really good for the last few weeks of the season so I think that's the other thing is Conte's managed to harmonize the squad you know under Nuno when Nuno played that infamous conference league game where he basically just played the second 11 and none of the starters traveled and that just You know, went down like a lead balloon with those players, like as you can imagine. Mm, Um, So, yeah, uh, lots, lots of, lots of reasons. I think, I think it's more complex than just you know buying two, admittedly very good footballers in the January window.
0: It did seem to, uh, as I say, lead to a lot of assists in the case of Kulishevsky, and obviously, as someone who had eyes on Bettenko and the rumours we were interested, uh, he obviously made a a huge difference as well. I suppose the other thing you can point to as as well as Arsenal's inexperience is that they also had their own worries with, with injury and losing a couple of first teamers within the space of a, a week just before uh, that run-in wouldn't have done them any favours because the more inexperienced you are the less you want to see changes like that as well you know it's it's not just about who's against you and, and all that kind of stuff it's about things that throw you off your rhythm where if you're a grizzled old head like a Roy Keane that wouldn't have bothered you in the least I still think fifth actually represents quite a good result for Arsenal to, and the young side, to be honest. And there's obviously room for them to improve. Obviously it's not where they were 20 years ago, but two seasons finish in eighth. They're now back in Europe. Uh, they probably do need to improve the the depth of the squad in order to deal with the Europa League campaign, unless they're just going to sack it off. But yeah, I think that that represents a step up. Uh, the team that definitely didn't have a step up this season is Man United. Uh do you think we covered them enough in our Ten Hag episode a few weeks back? <laughs> well, yeah,
1: as I says yeah, I feel I can um, deal with the woes of United with great fortitude. Um, I mean, they just got worse actually after that podcast, yeah. if anything. Um, yes, that's that's the crazy thing is you thought it couldn't get worse, but it did. Yeah, yeah. I I just I you know you don't know what to say, but but sort of when Zaha scored for Palace, it was like here we go again yeah here we go again absolutely it's uh it's a state it's an absolute state but on the plus side Ten Hag already seems to have a very good idea about what he wants recruitment wise so as long as they give him what he wants I mean it's very similar to Conte right if you give Conte what you want and you give him some time you know he will turn a team around because he has a, a very proven method and I think it'll be similar with Ten to be honest. If you can if he can get the recruitment right, uh, they, they the minimum they should be looking at next year is is, is Champions League football, you know, because United will definitely have a bigger transfer budget than Arsenal, for example. So yeah, you know, they'd have to they'd have to fancy their chances of being back in the mix. Of course, if they get a couple of bad results early doors, then suddenly it's a different it's a different game with that ownership group, isn't it? And with that fan base, so. Yeah, at the and, moment every Man United fan I know is saying, Well, oh, Ten Hag, he needs three years minimum, give him time, give him time. Yeah. But I yeah, I know that fan base, if 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 results aren't going well three games, four games in, then they're
0: gonna start saying, Oh no, no, it's terrible, get someone else. Yeah, absolutely. I think the one thing that is always gonna be a little question mark is as brilliantly as he's done with Ajax, he doesn't have the C V of a Conte. Uh that is the the best job on his CV, uh, brilliantly. I don't want to knock the the work that he's done there, but there will be a lot of people if it doesn't go well saying, "Well, what is the Dutch league?" And you know, well, I could do it with Ajax. Is the old kind of cliche, isn't it? And it's not fair, but which is yeah, it's nonsense if you look at how how many times <laughs> finals and PSV
1: for it. But, um, yeah, but it will happen. Yes, it, it it will, and you know, the thing about Ten Hag as well is he's very much because he he worked under Guardiola, and right? he's very much. He's very similar to Guardiola. He's very intense. He's a football nerd. He's not particularly, I mean, Guardiola is charismatic in a kind of like weirdo. You meet down the pub kind of way. But but Ten Hag is not like a particularly charismatic guy. You know, he's not he's not box office. He's not a Mourinho. He's not a Conte. He's not he's not a Klopp. So he is relying on the fact that he has he has a football intelligence and and a and a way of playing that's 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 very pure and he may struggle with the english media a little bit from what i've seen and you know managers just grow into that you know guardiola was was very awkward at the start and now he just doesn't care and just basically says sassy things through press conferences i mean i don't know if you saw yesterday he said um he said that when they were two nil down he uh he phoned Raul Madrid for some advice <laughs> 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 he just doesn't care anymore yeah. um which is which is amazing like sort of no Phil to Guardiola is, is my new favourite thing.
0: It's certainly more enjoyable than the uh, slightly buttoned up version that we used to get. Uh, moving on from Man United then quickly because, you know, it's, it's been a season to forget for them and as De Gea said, the only good thing that happened was that the season ended. Uh, West Ham kind of struggled a little bit towards the end with the number of games that they'd played and you know it's still a, a, really, good, it's a really good season. Uh, they probably would have been looking a little higher than this a few weeks ago but 7th place overall and then a couple of teams that ended the season on pretty good runs in Leicester and Brighton they benefit perhaps from the season being essentially dead for them and not having a lot to play for they ended up with top half finishes uh, didn't always look likely for Leicester so uh and then ran at the top half as wolves as you say so there's a few teams there that have had some pretty pretty interesting seasons and will be thinking uh, that they've done you know done well this year
1: it's funny as mad as it sounds you wonder if West Ham are a little bit disappointed with the way the season's yeah. gone. You know, particularly with how bad United were, to still finish below them, having been above them for quite a bit of the season, and then, you know, to come so close, you know, because West Ham, they would have beaten that Rangers team. That that Frankfurt team, and nothing really to shout about, you know, 10th in the Bundesliga, I think, and they end up finishing. So it was a huge opportunity to, I mean, imagine West Ham winning the Europa League and being in the Champions League next season and finishing fifth, you know, it it would, it would have been, you know, a sort of season for the ages for them. So I always wonder with, with teams like that, with, you know, Leicester last season and the season before as well, when objectively it's a really good league finish, but you feel like, feel like they, They were so close to actually doing even better and how the fan base kind of feels about that. Like most West Ham fans I know are kind of very much like, oh, no, no, it was a magical season. But I wonder if deep down they wouldn't be
0: just a little bit disappointed that it didn't quite, yeah, didn't quite finish it off. I mean, they were top four for most of the year, or, or top four, five, let's say, for most of the year, because they did slip in and out a little bit. But a uh, good long spell there, and they probably would have hoped for the top six, you would think. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm sure they would have taken seventh if they'd taken the silverware, you know. Because if, to, but to go close in both might leave a certain amount. ah. Uh, there was a chance missed there, because there aren't going to be chance after chance after chance for this side. It's you know, may not be a, li- not. a limited window.
1: I mean i think back to lasagna lasagna gate you know because that's mm. probably the nearest equivalent i can think of like of you know when spurs got really close to the champions league and then just that that just at the end it just all fell away for us um because of the dodgy lasagna and stuff and you just i remember thinking then that was our one chance we'll never get that chance again and it was mm. another what like three years after that i think until we got it in the end so it, you know. It didn't turn out to be quite so bad, but, but, um, yeah, I do remember that feeling of, oh,
0: God, that's it. That's the chance. Um, Leicester.
1: Mm. So just
0: just before you move on, it it is worth uh, saying that they did have it very much in in their own hands. But then the last two months of the season, how many games did they actually win? And it looks like there's, there's that one game against Lyon. But other than that, they beat Everton and they beat Norwich and everything else was a draw or defeat. And you know, that says it all really. I mean, if, if you're going to lose it at the death, it's going to be through form like that. And it wasn't top six form that they played out the season with. Uh, so it was a it was a front loaded season, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah, and and you know they 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 don't have a they don't have the, the the squad. I guess you know you you go Europa League is grueling. It's not as grueling as it used to be, but it's still pretty grueling. And. Was the Europa League two group stages at one time? I think it was. Yeah, it was, <laughs> just, yeah. Absolutely Much mocked. <laughs> so it's not quite as grueling as that as anymore. The, but it's...
0: No, the Champions League teams used to enter at the second group stage.
1: Yes, yes, that's right. It's not as good as it used to be, but it's still pretty grueling. So to do that, Anna, you know, Premier League campaign, um, yeah, plus the domestic cup competitions, I can't quite remember where they were. They, uh, where they went out of those two. But, yeah, it's a lot of games. It's a lot of games for a kind of, you know, middling-sized squad. But, yeah, I mean, Leicester is an interesting one to me. Again, I, f- I feel like they'd, they'd be disappointed, but then when when you look at where they were three, four weeks ago, they'd be delighted.
0: Mm, so They played a, out the season quite well, didn't they?
1: It's a bit of an odd one, because it looked like Brendan Rodgers was probably going to get the sack at one point. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Because, you know, I was having an interesting conversation with a Celtic fan who says, you know, the third year is when everyone works Brendan out. He tends to do very well in his first couple of years and then the third year. And actually, if you look at his Liverpool tenure, it pretty much worked the same, worked the same way. And of course, like, you know, Rodgers is kind of David Brent soda. You know, it's kind of like it starts to wear on people three years in, I think the media and fans and probably the players, too. Um and clearly they've they've lost some key players over over the years and you know, Vardy's not getting any younger. You know he's Madison all year was a blow, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and Madison, you know, one minute he's he's kind of uh, their key player, and the next minute, you know, he's on he's on the bench or it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a funny one. You can't think they're gonna be able to keep hold of Tielemans much longer. No. Um so I don't know with Leicester. It's funny. I thought, you know, last season, it looked like they could really, with Spurs being not looking a great place, uh, Arsenal not, not looking a great place. It, it kind of looked like Leicester had a real, a real shot to kind of get into the Champions League, possibly this season. But, um, you know, it, it never really worked out that way for them throughout the season. It'd be interesting to see if, if Rogers gets the chance to do a bit of a rebuild of that of that squad or if he does end up kind of, you know, uh, being
0: ushered out the door, it, it, I'm not quite sure which way it's going to go yet, really. And the interesting kind of dilemma is that, unlike some of these other clubs like Liverpool and Celtic, is that you sort of think with Leicester, where are they actually going to find someone to improve the squad at this point if they do move on somewhere else? So he may get another crack at it great finish for, for Brighton I don't know if ninth is their best finish ever but uh it's certainly a, a great season nonetheless because obviously they don't have anything like the spending power of some of the rivals uh we've covered what you think of Wolves already uh so we'll we'll round out the the top half there and move on to to the bottom half I mean the obvious place to come is to to abandon the chronology and go to the the, the run-in, uh, Newcastle moved away out of it ages ago, ages and ages ago, and ended up finishing almost in the top half. Uh, so we went into the last week with three teams with hope of survival, and then Everton pulled the way out of it, uh, leaving Leeds and Burnley going to the wire. Let's Everton first of all then. Uh, really desperate season. Uh, even if they have survived, Frank Lampard's get-up-them type almost Captain Manor in style management, <laughs> just about did the job. But it's it, there's no hiding what a disaster the year's been. Well, I mean, I mean,
1: not just this year. I think you have to look at Everton really over the last six years and say, where is the long-term planning? You know, they have owners that have put money in. You know, they've kept the, the chairman around that, that, that knows the club but there's no sense that they knew what they were doing and and I think that's 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 the classic example of a you know a historic team big team spending money recklessly and not having any plan for what they were doing with it like you look at some of the players they bought Theo Walcott Iwobi Sigurdsson you know, that year they bought about four number tens. They bought Sigerson Davy Classen. I think they brought Rooney back that year. So <laughs> they just had this like summer of, of, of getting like number tens that couldn't run. Just bizarre. Like then they had the odd sign that really works out, like Damari Gray. It's you just didn't know what they were doing. Meanwhile, while they're they're kind of buying forwards and midfield players, that's it's a, a championship back four. I don't know if you'd call that a championship back four. Like...
0: Well, it's one of those things where on paper it's sort of at the start of the year it didn't look too bad, and they did start quite well under Benitez. But once the the confidence went, they started to play like a non-league back four. I mean, I've never seen some of the defending that I, that we saw out of Evan and you know, it's it's not. Within these players as well. I mean, it's not that long ago Ben Godfrey was in the England squad and he was shinning it just like everybody else. Michael Keane looked like a drunken toddler at times. um And he's not terrible. I mean, he's I mean, Seamus terrible. Coleman has been done for two years. Yes. Kind of,
1: he, he means a lot to that club. He's been an absolute Premier League legend,
0: like bona fide Premier League mm. legend. But and then the the, uh, he's the can, oh, yeah, and has been for a while. you're you're not wrong. and it's it's been obvious for most of this year. And then just to kind of rub salt in the wound. and it goes back to what you were saying a while ago. the The manager started the campaign on the other flank. The one bright spot in the defense for a lot of Everton fans was sold on at the request of the manager. three or four days later, the manager was sacked, which I guess everything we could say about that we did say about man United in that episode a few weeks back applies to evan with regards to the the planning and the strategy and so it's just non-existent and this season it's been all the stuff we've seen over the last few years but on a weekly basis almost and that's why they've been well really for a long time they look the most likely to drop i think
1: I, i always had a weird a weird feeling that they'd probably be all right because this i said a while ago on twitter that um there's nothing more retro mid-90s than Everton in a relegation battle. Uh, and it felt very similar to that 93-94 um, season it, because they, they still had enough good players that you felt like, you know, that no team with Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin and Damari Gray, you know, that a team like that shouldn't be going down. And if it does, then that's a horrible, horrible indictment of the management of the club. I will say, I have been one of the most critical people of Frank Lampard and the nepotistic manner in which he's got these jobs. You know, three good football jobs: uh, Derby before everything imploded, Chelsea, and now, and now Everton. But I have to say, I, I admire the fact that having tried to play four-three-three, beautiful game. Tiki Tacker, Jordan Pickford dribbling out of his defence. They recognised what they were in. They went four five you know, you know, five four one. I think they went in the end. It was their kind of their finishing formation this season. And they just ended up playing proper survival football. They were, you know, they got men behind the ball, they broke quickly, and they put themselves about. And weirdly. In doing so, I think Lampard finally found himself a bit of an identity as a sort of Aldi Mourinho. Um, <laughs> because prior to that, like I remember watching that Chelsea-United game where Dan James looked like prime Pele, where Chelsea just let so much space in behind and Rashford and James just basically just ran, ran over the top of it every single time. And just thinking that's so naive, like unbelievably naive. And I think every time he watched Lampard's Chelsea play, you just thought, What what are you really trying to do here? It's the most unrealistic type of football. And actually, yeah, he 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 seems to have found a method at the end there. Be interesting to see how much longer he lasts because, you know, either it's like a road to Damascus moment for him and it's what makes him as a manager, or, you know, they're straight back in the relegation
0: battle and he's and he's gone. And that's probably it for management for for Frank Lampard after that. Unless he wants to drop back into the championship, which would be unlikely. Uh, I think it probably is going to be a rough year next year, especially if he's going to try and play like that. Because we saw with several managers over the past decade, Sam Allardyce most notably, that Everton fans are not unlike some of these other clubs that will respond to style. Uh, which is ironic because, you know, we obviously did an episode not that long ago talking about how their best team for a long time was the Dogs of War. You would think that having that in their recent DNA and the poor, poor sides that were either side of the Joe Royal team, there'd be a lesson learned there, but uh, maybe not. And I think there's also going to be a lot of movement in the playing personnel uh, come this summer. I also know just from talking to people that there's, a sense that the poor year that Calvert-Lewin has had is if people want to pay good money for him, then let them have him kind of a sense uh, and then more fear about some of their other prized assets. So, yeah, uh, it could be quite a bleak, bleak one for them. Uh, Okay, so they did pull themselves out with that comeback win against Crystal Palace, who finished the season in 12th. That might be quite disappointing for them because they were always looking up for most of the year and uh, Vieira had a pretty good season. Um, but that meant that Burnley and Leeds went into the final day with Burnley just outside the bottom three and Leeds needing to... Or, or was it just they needed to bet the result? I can't remember the exact... Yeah, they need to bet the result, yeah. There we are. So, but ne- Leeds needing to better the results and Leeds were away at Brentford and Burnley were at home against Newcastle. So it was all in Burnley's hands and then they've obviously they've let it slip. They've dropped out. They have 35 points. Leeds beat Brentford to finish with 38. Uh, It's a story of two managerial changes, I guess. You know, Bielsa being replaced with Jesse Marsh and Mike Jackson replacing Sean Dyche. I've obviously gone with a really simple narrative there. Is it too easy to say, well, they should have stuck with Sean Dyche now?
1: I think it was the it was the most interesting relegation battle for a really long time um, because, as we say, like Everton, you know, Everton looked absolutely gone at one point, like they were in free fall uh, before uh, Lampard kind of got them going. Leeds, like when Marsh first came in again, they were in free fall, he got a couple of quick wins, and then they, their form went again. Leeds fans turned on Jesse Marsh because he's not Bielsa that looks grim. Burnley sat Sean Dyche I thought it was a terrible idea. Then they suddenly started getting results under the caretaker management. And then you're thinking, oh, my God, maybe these owners knew what they were doing. And, and Sean Dyche had just got so stale there that, you know, it was what needs to happen. And I think, you know, when it came down to that final day, ultimately, Brentford were was saved. Newcastle was saved. Um, And it it really just came down to which team was more on the beach out of Newcastle and Brentford. And I watched the Brentford-Leeds game and it it was quite an on-the-beach performance from
0: Brentford, I have to say. Do you think it's a very bad relegation for Burnley? I mean, obviously, there's no such thing as a good one, but we've seen teams drop out and bounce straight back at the first attempt. And we've seen them drop out and never come back uh, I'm not entirely sure which this is uh it's because they're not a side that you automatically think of as immediately going to come back because it was so long before they ever got up in the first place and when that happens as it did with say Stoke or uh oh, well any number of the other sides that's, that have this kind of spell it's it's not always immediately something that happens and I had heard that since the new owners have gone in at Burnley that maybe the reason that they made the move was because they couldn't afford to fall out and that would be quite a bad situation for them wouldn't it
1: yeah I've, I've I've got the impression that the new owners aren't the most financially regular people in the whole world and that is a bit of a worry I think for Burnley on the other hand it's a squad of championship players right <laughs> yeah, you know sort of a couple aside that is literally a championship team so you wouldn't think they'd struggle with the intensity of the championship and with the physicality of the championship like you'd think that they'd, you know that they'd fit right in I think with any relegated team the longer it takes you to get back out the more difficult it is like if you can do what Newcastle have done a couple of times which is just to bounce straight back, or what Fulham and Norwich seem to do every time—you know, Fulham and Norwich just get relegated, and win the league the next season. at Can'ter seemingly, and that happens every time they, <laughs> every time they go down, they just then all right, we'll just win the league again. But if you can just come straight back up, then you're not going to have too much difficulty. If you look at Stoke and Sheffield United, you're looking at you're looking at those two teams, and you're thinking, you know, had they bounced back straight away, that it had been fine, but now. It doesn't look like Stoke can buy their way back up, does it? You know, Birmingham's another team like that. So the longer it is, you know, the harder it's going to be. And, well, I mean, obviously we've talked about Forest and we've talked about Sheffield Wednesday, <laughs> those sort of legacy
0: teams, if you like, that have just been down there forever now. Yeah, and once you do get drawn out of that that first season, it does get much harder. I think Villa were very fortunate to to come back up when we did because we were very into that cycle having finished mid table in the first year. Uh, And it'd be easier in one sense because Burnley won't have everybody treating it like it's their cup final. But on the other hand, they won't be able to throw money at it the way that some of these other relegated clubs can. Yes, they'll have the parachute payments, but they're not going to have the, the kind of resources that, that some other clubs would have dropping down from the top flight. And let's be honest that, that's, some other clubs in the Championship do now. I mean, the, these rich owners that uh, we used to think of as very much a premiership thing now actually run through the Football League. So they're, they're going to have some pros and some uh, some cons on that. As for their opponents, uh, Leeds... Well, they obviously a little while ago in, in March, kind of early April kind of time, they ran went on a run of about four or five games where they sort of looked like they pulled themselves out of it. And you thought they were, they were as good as safe. They, they beat Wolves, they beat Watford. A uh, couple of creditable draws around that as well. About five games without defeat. But then in that last couple of weeks, I mean, they did look like they'd lost their heads, didn't they? So, so to come back on the last day must have been, you know, tr- is a tremendous result. It is. And again, that's a championship squad of players. Rafinha aside, uh,
1: and obviously Bamford and uh, and Calvin Phillips who are injured, that is a championship team. (laughs) And uh, the lack of depth in the squad and, you know, how talent poor they were. I tell you what, it really did show you the level of job that Bielsa did with that team. Because actually, you know, even by the standards of the championship, that wasn't a great squad. But he 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 just had them playing in in that kind of lunatic way that that meant that they kind of carried all before them for a little while and had that that great finish last season. Um, but that's the thing about Els's football is that you know you're looking at a, a three or four year shelf life because injuries start to happen. He only wants to work with uh, a small squad, so there's no depth. He's very picky about players. There's lots of rumors that you know there are several players identified by Leeds that he said no to, and and so yeah, that's why you end up in the way in the way that you are. I hope Jesse Marsh, you know, gets get some time. Um, he's a great job at Red Bull Salzburg. You know, maybe the the Leipzig job potentially came a bit soon for him but yeah I think he's got a lot I think he's got a lot to offer and I know he's he's got that issue of being an American in the Premier League and so everyone is always going to judge him 10 times more harshly than they would any other manager and you know all that stuff that came out in the week about him showing people Gandhi quotes and stuff like it's easy to lampoon American sports (laughs) culture I mean like you and I are quite deeply embedded in various american sports so it 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 doesn't seem so so odd to us or so jarring but you know to a lot of premier league fans and and uh and probably players you know that sort of motivational style is 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 very alien and so Mm. you know he's gonna have that perception problem but he's a very very good coach and i think he can
0: make this Leeds team better with some smart recruitment, but they do need players. I think now that they have stayed up, uh, he will get time at Leeds. I think the amount of time that they spent in the doldrums down, you know, where they really didn't belong in league one has given the, many of that fan base, at least a bit more of a sense of perspective than we are used to seeing among some of the the country's bigger clubs. So yeah, I do expect him to get maybe a bit more time than say, I expect to see it for you know lampard at, at everton uh, we called a couple of these sides down there the championship teams and if there is any hope for for them it's uh that someone else that was routinely called the championship team at you know at the first half of the season but you know it's there's a lesson here if you pretty much one of the worst teams in the division if you reach the january transfer window by a new flat pack back four a 20 million pound striker and drop a world-class midfielder into the midfield, all of a sudden you can finish 11th in the second half of the season which is exactly what Newcastle did. They took a pretty poor set of players bought a bunch of new players for that first 11 and you know they finished above teams that they at Christmas we'd have said they'd had no business finishing above the likes of Villa, Palace and uh, and Southampton Say so so yeah, it's a, a very successful second half of the season once they opened up that checkbook at Newcastle. I think I think the bigger thing
1: is just having Ezzy Howe
0: full stop. Um, I'm not even sure if they need the recruitment at the end. Uh, I think, I, Eddie Howe, I, think I, I am. I'm very convinced they need the recruitment.
1: But Eddie, Eddie Howe is. A, I mean, but if you think about, you know, Callum I think Wilson, they were a poor team. Callum Wilson, Sam Maxman, Almiron, they were all right going forward. But Steve Bruce had them set up in such a dour way. I mean, certainly the back four was not brilliant but with better coaching I don't know if it was if it was so big I don't know if they would have been flying up the table in the the, quite the way they did but I think I think Eddie Howe could quite reliably have got them out of trouble
0: given the resources he was used to working with at Bournemouth Um, maybe maybe. I mean I think the midfield and defence was that bad that's why they were set up dourly and they still couldn't defend (laughs) <laughs> yeah I, mean, it's, I think steve bruce uh i don't know if steve bruce has come out of this
1: with with much credit really but certainly certainly eddie howard's done a fantastic job there and not only that like the recruitment was very was very smart in that they weren't going out and trying to buy robinio or some nonsense yeah. you know like when when the money comes in um you know they bought players like dan burn who you know solid premier league pros you know um they uh obviously uh, Rated filler for for Matt Target and uh you know stuff like that like you know just solid pros aren't they mm. uh, nothing nothing spectacular I mean obviously Guy is a spectacular footballer and that's one that is more for the future isn't it it's like okay yeah. like, that's that that's the statement signing I think he's turned out to be even better than I thought he was and I did watch a fair bit of Leon but
0: but it, he's an even better player I think than I than I realized so the one thing that I will have to say that obviously doesn't come down to the recruitment and does come down to managerial and coaching and seeing something that wasn't there is the decision to move Joe Linton back and him suddenly just catching light. I mean, that obviously is something. But I don't think anybody really else really saw that either. So yeah, the sure. Joe uh, Linton becoming
1: 1996 Zinedine Saddam was certainly not something that I was, uh, was anticipating for the season. No,
0: quite. Yes. But other than that, I generally think it's much the same as taking a team. Well, as far as I'm concerned, for uh, the rest of that squad, it's it's no different taking a team at the bottom of the championship and dropping those players into them, never mind the bottom of the Premier League. So bad, were they? But uh, but yeah, I mean, the recruitment was absolutely stunning. I remember when we bought in Dina and we let Target go, I, re- I remember uh, messaging Joe and saying, you know, you, you've got a good one there. He is defensively ridiculously solid. He will miss a few going forward, but... You know, he's not going to let you down. Uh, and Trippier on the other flank's obviously an England star. Uh, obviously, you know him better than I do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. And, and, you know,
1: Trippier for them, the way How likes to play is very much similar to how Liverpool play. So, you know, Trippier provides that creative outlet that Alexander Arnold does for Liverpool, you know, which is which, which is really, really important. And, you know, a lot of teams get their creativity from their full-backs nowadays
0: because the middle is so congested. And uh, obviously they then added Wood up front to to go along with, with Wilson so they to have a bit more firepower and it took it away from Burnley <laughs> did, which... didn't, he, didn't he end up scoring like about two goals. Yeah.
1: Was, he didn't it was like, it was it was a weird one because like they took him away from Burnley and then they signed Veghorst as a better player. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure if that really killed Burnley as much as you might think it did,
0: but yeah. It unsettled them, if nothing else. Because uh Veghorst did only get a couple of goals and yeah maybe wood would have got more than two in the running uh I don't know he he did only have three in the first half of the season himself for Burnley, so it's yeah maybe it didn't make that much of a difference uh just running out of the teams left in the league here uh probably quite a disappointing year all in all for Villa and Southampton uh again another season with them just outside the bottom places, never really in any danger of going down, but also. Yeah, I mean, were they ever really challenging to do any better than that? Uh, it's obviously a bit of a step back for Villa with the mid-season change, but maybe more of a worry for Southampton as this becoming a pattern for them.
1: Well, Southampton are either brilliant or crap. Yes. There's no in-between, you know. And obviously Hasselhoff plays, you know, he plays the, the German pressing football. You know, what, you know, he was obviously at Leipzig before. And I, and I think Southampton are definitely a case of, you know when it works it works brilliantly if it doesn't work they tend to get hammering and they're they're good for one or two five or six nil spankings a year yeah like they'll go they'll either go to someone like city and they'll press the life out of city and actually give city a real game or they'll go and press them and city will just go and score six like or something you know that's that's Mm. the sort of uh just the kind of teams that haven't seemed to be very all or, very all or nothing. Mm,
0: it um, depends if someone's missing the press that day, they just get picked apart. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they did only win nine games all year, which is exactly the same amount as Leeds. So maybe worrying times. It's uh... well, I, I don't know if it's worrying, but they, again, they don't have the biggest squad, do they? And
1: you know, they don't have the the most spending power. I mean, I guess it's interesting to see Palace doing so much better. Southampton and Villa because you wouldn't say that the squads were all that different mm. uh, but but you know I guess like what Palace did was really interesting because they took you know three or four of the best young players from the championship
0: and they all just immediately looked at home mm. No, it's always a good thing if you can pull it off. It's just not always the the easiest thing. I know that a lot of clubs have tried to find a gem in the lower leagues and very few of them actually pay off in the long run. Uh, The one thing that maybe worries me about Southampton is that number of wins. Uh, Palace won fewer games than Villa, but finished above them because they draw more than they, they lose. Villa actually win quite a lot of games and it's a case of, okay, can we turn some of those... Close defeats into draws next season to kind of push up that way. Whereas Southampton, it is just the fact that they don't... They actually lose a lot. They don't win that much. And they in the end, they only finished two points above Leeds. So, so yeah, I mean, they, they will need to do a little bit better, I think. Or they're going to to perhaps be in the same sort of position again. Uh, just to wrap things up, I guess. Uh, is there really much that can be said about Watford and Norwich? Uh, down with the whimper again. I mean... At this point when it's becoming so kind of normal, for Norwich in particular, I mean, do we have much sympathy? I mean, we've seen what Brentford can do on a smaller budget than either of them.
1: Norwich, Norwich spent the money in the wrong place, you know, and actually if you look at what Norwich spent the money on, they were players that got relegated to the Bundesliga teams they're playing for. <laughs> so like you're t- you're basically buying relegation standard players from a league which is arguably a little, little bit, not too much, but a little bit of a step down. Certainly, you know, relegated teams in the Bundesliga and versus relegated teams in the Premier League. I think you'd probably bat the Premier League teams to win those games. Yeah, I think so. So, so yeah, I, I think the recruitment for Norwich was poor because if you think about it, right, they sell Buendia, who clearly, like, that's a huge loss, right? He's there, yeah. you know, they won the league by miles, mostly because Buendia was the best player in the division. And then you sell him. And they don't really replace him with anything like, you know, the quality. You know, Puky's a reliable goal scorer at at any level, but that defence is shocking, absolutely Mm. shocking. They have a player like Cantwell, who was great the first time in the Premier League, but seemed to just lose his way and has and has gone to Bournemouth. You know, it was one of those things where having backed Daniel Farka, you know, to kind of be this sort of long term figure playing good football and, and all of that and then them suddenly deciding actually no we don't want to go down we're gonna stack him and replace him with a manager like that has a proven record of pulling a team out like Smith did with Villa in that first season of the Premier League mm-hmm. you know I think Dean Smith will do a great he would do a really good job with them but yeah the recruitment has to be better and if they're ever to stand the chance of, of staying in the Premier League like they do need to be a bit less naive I love the fact that they tried to play like Man City with a championship level team, but Brentford has a level of pragmatism that I don't think Norwich ever had. You know, Thomas Frank, you could see it from that first game against Arsenal. Although they play good football, they're putting in long throws. You know, they've they've spent 20, 30 million on their, on their defence in between seasons. And of course, if you can luck into loaning a world-class player, <laughs> um, yeah, Never hurts. Midway through the season, then obviously that, that's going to help. But they'd have stayed up without Eriksen anyway. Um, I think. Yeah, there were, they were so three if, or four weaker teams, weren't there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Norwich, like, I'll always have a soft spot for Norwich, as we discussed in our, you know, Norwich versus Bayern Munich episode. I think their fans are rightly frustrated, though. They're rightly yeah. frustrated that they, that they, you know, they win the championship and then they seem to make no effort to stay up. You know, all the most cursory efforts stay up. Uh, Watford's a bit different in that I think it's a it's a pretty damning inci- indictment on the top half of the championship that they let Watford get promoted. I, I don't know how that <laughs> happens. I don't know how you let that team finish second because they were dreadful, absolutely dreadful. You know, if I if I'm I don't know like Forest or any of those teams, Sheffield United like. I, I, I am fuming that I let them go
0: up. I think they're that bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and obviously they've got this this very strange model that is not proving to bear fruit uh, for a while there in the, the mid-2000s. You couldn't really argue with it because they did stay up for a number of years, which is something Watford had never done in the Premier League era. But now it, it's not really yielding much in the way of results and uh, you, you are more prone to criticism. And I think that's what's ultimately going to really be what people look at with Norwich as well. It's We're past the era where you, they got the plucky Norwich trying tag that kind of let them off. I think now people are going to start looking more at the recruitment because it's not the first time that anyone's has said what, what you've said there about, you know, they, they just didn't spend the money right. They didn't do the right kind of thing. And let's not forget, uh, what was his name? Van Wolfswinkel. Uh, all those years ago. <laughs> Goodness.
1: Uh, (laughs) I I think the thing is is that why why the fans are a little bit or more than a little bit perturbed is is it seems like they're just quite happy Mm. to have a cycle of parachute payments because if you go up and you come straight back down and then you go up and you go come straight back down, you're always getting parachute payments and that the club becomes very sustainable Mm. from a financial point of view. Uh but obviously if you're a fan, you want your team to be doing well and not being the laughing stock of the league. Uh, so that's that's where ownership's vision versus the fans' vision
0: comes into conflict and this stat I think puts the way the year went into some sort of context uh, Brentford's goal difference finished up on minus 8 and then obviously Brentford went up through the playoffs whereas Norwich won that league at a canter and their goal difference ended up being a crushing minus 61 with 84 goals conceded Shocking, isn't it? And, you know, like, that's the thing about, you know, Spurs playing
1: Norwich last game of the season. I I I never felt like there was going to be a last-minute bottling going on there. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. like, they, Safest they,
0: game. Just, they just rolled over. Yeah. Yeah, if, if there was anyone that you wanted to play with something on the line last year, I, I hate to say it, because obviously I've got a soft spot for Norwich as well, and a soft spot for Dean Smith. Uh, but if there was anyone you wanted to play on that last day, it was Norwich. Right then. That's the end of the season. We hope you've enjoyed it. We certainly have. Uh, We'll be back with some various episodes talking about different things across the summer. We've got some topics that have come up in conversation that we want to spend a bit more time on. Uh, We hope you'll enjoy those too. Come back and listen to them then. Until next time, we'll see you soon.